I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to another episode of the Esports Moment. I'm Seamus Byrne, and this week, it's one of those weeks where you think, is the right word an esports paragon? I think he's, like, played at seriously competitive levels from CS 1.6 to Magic Arena. He's built Australian teams. He once wrote for GameSpy, RIP to that old friend. He helped design the much-loved Telstra Game Arena game ladder platform. He's also the co-founder and part owner of the GG Easy Gaming Bar in Melbourne. And now he's part of the team driving online tournament platform mogul.gg into the future. So it's quite the laundry list of esports credits and angles for us to explore. So diving straight in, welcome to the esports moment, Jamie Skeller. Hi, mate. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Very, very good to have you here. So... Backing up a little bit, I do get the feeling that when we think about sort of what Mogul GG is trying to be, I feel like there is actually some synergy there between your old role, uh, old role helping make Game Arena for Telstra. So I'm, you know, I'm sure that holds a place in the hearts of many Aussie gamers. Um, but you know, now kind of working on a modern digital tournament platform. So, but can you kind of talk us through what Game Arena was and how it served the community uh, during its heyday? Well, back um, back in the days of Telstra Game Arena and um, Games.on.net, which later became sort of Internodes Gaming Service, there were a few organisations in this space, um, primarily ISPs, who ran a network of dedicated servers uh, for Aussie gamers. And this was a big deal and there was a high degree of preference between them based on quality of administration and quality of servers. Um, I played a lot on Internode myself. I, I was an Internode uh, user, um, but I also played a, a fair bunch on Telstra's Game Arena primarily because of um, their, their ladder system, which I helped build. Um, it was, at the time, uh, largely a piece of work undertaken by um, a company now known as Mammoth Media. Uh, they're responsible for Ozgamers. I did a lot of great work in the day putting on some massive lands, and uh, they were sort of behind the scenes at QLG, uh, I believe was the name of it, the, the big land in, in Queensland. Um, so, look, there are a lot of parallels. In, in a sense, we're facilitating online competition, but the game has changed uh, mind the pun, a lot since then. Um, back then, you know, you had the, the low-ping bastards on uh, off this broadband, uh, cable that is, uh, you know, 100 megabit connections <laughs> yep. getting 5 millisecond pings, and most of the rest of us were, were stuck on dial-up or, or ADSL. Um, I still remember 
needing to, um, you know, whether it's a bullet or a rocket, needing to lead uh, your competition, your enemies on screen because you'd have to compensate for, you know, up to 250 milliseconds of latency. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a weird time, but you you had to have the passion to actually push through push through the barrier back then when you wanted to get that done. Um, but yeah, you know, look, jumping to to Mogul itself, um, can you give us a quick intro on what exactly Mogul is and the niche that it's trying to fill in the the landscape out there today? Well, it's not a ladder system like Game Arena, not yet. Anyway, we might be rolling out some ladder functionality, um, but it is a tournament system, which is really designed to facilitate primarily online play, although the tech can and is used uh, in land-based events by organizers as well. Um, it'll be used at Girl Gamer uh, Sydney Festival, uh, which is coming up at the start of June. Um, should be an exciting event, uh, really championing uh, equality and trying to uh, shine a spotlight on some of uh, our very talented uh, women talent down under. Um, but it's also already a successful event abroad. So Mogul, uh, in terms of being a piece of uh, software, of infrastructure to help run these events more effectively and efficiently with less administrative overhead, uh, it serves a great purpose. Uh, but we also run a whole bunch of content ourselves. And by content, I mean tournaments uh, and events uh, natively on the platform, which is planned and executed by our global team of uh, tournament operators and administrators everywhere from Hamburg in Germany to right here in Melbourne. Um, we have um, some, some really great talent and people, including people out of Renegades um, and out of Avant uh, Gaming who are currently helping us out. And into the future, we expect to be doing a lot more with brands. Um, so some big telco tournaments, uh, naming rights tournaments coming up. Um, consumer brands have been approaching us about putting on brand new customer engagement and fan engagement uh, pieces uh, utilizing our, our tech. Um, and we just signed a massive uh, milestone deal with, with Team Alliance um, out of Europe. And that's going to be one of many deals of this nature where we um, provide um, the planning and execution and technology capability for them to do bigger and better things for their fan base and underserved parts of the esports community um, and, and uh, create a way for these teams to uh, to create a brand new revenue stream as well. And obviously, you know, most teams, no matter how successful they are around the world at the moment, more money is always helpful. Yeah, look, I think that'd be an interesting aspect to dig in a little deeper on, which which is that that idea of these partnerships, you know, what What's kind of the idea behind finding these sorts of connections out there in the community? Is it is it sort of getting the the recognition via their fans, or is it raising the profile of tournaments and getting them to take part? I've seen the occasional one where you know sort of the fans might have an opportunity to play against the the superstars of a team they really like, you know, or or you're mentioning sort of some of the the revenue opportunities there. So I'm I'm curious how that all sort of fits together when it comes to these partnerships. Well, a big piece of um, what I was brought to Mobile to do was really to think more closely and more critically um, about what our technology represents in terms of um, an offer to the market, where we fit in, where we can create value, um, and ultimately how we can monetize effectively moving forward. And, and, you know, something that's been apparent to me for a long time and, and became even more so as I dug in after starting with Mogul about five months ago is that most of the esports industry value on, uh, you know, the global stage is really about advertising and sponsorship, which basically means that every organization, be they an event organizer or a league operator or indeed a team, everybody's more or less just putting their hand out and asking sponsors and brands to put their hands into their pockets. That's pretty much the, the primary source of capital for any organization in this space. And um, that's not sustainable, um, not locally or abroad. And so um, looking over to the uh, the micro tournaments and the amateur leagues, this sort of piece of the puzzle, right now it only makes up 5 to 10% 
um, of global esports industry value. And I think there's a huge amount of opportunity to grow that piece of the pie um, in really meaningful ways. And importantly, in ways that mean we can um, circumvent the requirement for the same kinds of um, sponsor investment and advertising plays, which we have otherwise seen, um, and thinking about creating brand new consumer spend, brand new value, and then exchanging that value um, in, a, in a much more fair way. And so we come to the table with our tech and our operations team, um, and uh, we work with brands leveraging uh, their identity and the success they've had in markets to put on brand new fan engagement uh, opportunities uh, online and or land um, around the world, uh, region-based or global, which um, help them do great things in regards to cultivating active participation um, and not just uh, passive viewership. Um, so this is really meaningful so far as the quality of engagement and, and um, how that can work to improve their their brand, uh, increase the size of their fan base and ultimately, ultimately make them a more successful organisation by... Um, nuts and bolts wise, providing a great value proposition to players. So a kind of um, membership model, which uh, relates to various perks, including priority access into monthly huge cash prize tournaments that happen each and every month with thin prize distributions. So you don't have to be at the top tier to try and win anything. Um, obviously, merch distributions. And then there's aspirational stuff like... Um, winning the raffle to go across to Sweden, uh, all expenses all expenses paid and uh, boot camp in their HQ, which is awesome, mind you. Um, and that's cool. So that, that's going to change from team to team, right, and from organization to organization. But it's about creating a value proposition, which is really unique in market, uh, does a lot for the team, um, and obviously creates a, a, a great uh, amount of new opportunity for both organizations. That does sound really great. Yeah, and look, it sounds like um, it's something I often think about is uh, how we, as an industry, do more to support sort of the uh, you know the grassroots competitive space as well. I know sort of whether it's kind of school type tournaments that are being built up. Uh, you know, there's lots of different things going on, but uh, but sometimes yeah, it feels like that the the grassroots grassroots end of things uh, is mostly just focused on that idea of hey, play here and one day. You know, maybe you'll make it to the to the upper tiers where all the real action is. Um, but it sort of discounts the idea that some people, you know, just love their weekend competitive space in the same way that a traditional sports fan absolutely adores their weekend football team that they play with. You know, and that local trophy is going to mean the world to them just as much as winning a a major title for you know for the professionals. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you sort of yeah opening that door to that kind of uh, side of things? Uh, there as well. Look, that's, um, that's, that's precisely right. And yeah. I think it became very evident, very evident, very fast that there was a, a, a great deal we could do in the grassroots space. And that's probably where we should, we should play. And just like traditional sports, the largest majority of participants uh, are in fact, uh, they're not pro, right? They're, yeah. they're somewhere beneath that. Like, well, they're semi-pro um, or they're aspirationally professional, um, they're amateur, um, or they just play casually but they happen to be pretty damn good and they, and they don't mind a punt so to speak uh, in a competitive landscape yeah so um you know being able to capitalize on tier two and tier three and and below means that we actually have um uh, the opportunity to capitalize on a, on a far larger number of individuals wanting to be involved in this space in some way shape or form um so you know that's exciting i think the the, the opportunity for us to really prop up um stuff below the very top and um, and give them an opportunity to to engage uh, in ways that are really enjoyable and memorable, and um, you know provide 
them value, but also the organizations that are delivering this, this kind of um, engagement to them, the, the right amount of value as well. Hmm. And look, I remember sort of digging a little deeper into sort of mogul as a concept. I remember uh, so a couple of years ago, maybe a few years ago, when it like reverse listed on the stock exchange via some of the sort of weird West Australian penny stock things that were out there. Um, yeah, it was focusing on sort of Southeast Asia and maybe South Africa, I think at first. Um, but then sort of you've joined more recently. Yeah, what was it that jumped out at you that made you uh, want to join the team earlier this year? Well, the guys from Mogul actually approached me uh, a couple of years ago around, I'm not sure if it was precisely a couple of years ago, it was around the time that they were listing um, on the ASX and um, we were talking about the potential of joining the board, uh, largely in a kind of an advising, a steering capacity, but I just um, co-founded my last startup, which was a blockchain-based voting platform called Horizon State, um, which really provided the backbone for a, for a democratic movement called My Vote. But that, that's another story uh, entirely. So the, the guys sort of um, came back to me only about six months ago and they said, hey, look, um, we're sort of upgrading our exec, um, so to speak, and we think you'd make a great fit, uh, not just in some sort of advisory or steering capacity, but actually coming in and taking over operations, uh, running product, uh, and really working to blow this up. The technology is now in a great position. We've got you know global payment gateways uh, in place. We can accept 700 different forms uh, of payment. Uh, we have our own wallet system uh, fully, uh, fully set up in terms of escrow, automatic prize distribution, like the tech is now in a really good place. Um, so it's probably about time we can really start uh, growing this and driving it and, and seeing how big we can make it. Um, became pretty clear to me immediately that it would be a crying shame if we had this digital product, which, um, you know, natively, because of its nature, being a digital product, um, should be highly scalable. It's something that you can really send off on an exponential curve, a hockey stick curve in, in terms of potential growth. Um but not if we're limiting it by region and not if we're wedding the success to, um, you know, human resources in terms of operational overhead. And so the last few months has been thinking um, really, really long and hard about how do we take it global and where do we go first and what makes the most sense strategically and where is the best testing ground and where is the largest opportunity. Now, the, the company's already had a lot of success in Southeast Asia, um, around about a million players across the region. Um, Silver Slam tournament in February went swimmingly and um, there was 1,500 tournaments run over the course uh, of a single month period, um, 275,000 up for grabs. But Southeast Asia, at least most of the countries in Southeast Asia, they present a, a lower lifetime value than perhaps an individual um, in the United States or Australia or the UK, just based on the differences in uh, relative economic strength. I mean, you know, the, the average salary right now in Australia is about 80,000 bucks, and then the average salary in Philippines, uh, Australian equivalent, is around 8,000 bucks. So there's, a, there's a, a spending sort of difference, a spending power difference of, a, of around an order of magnitude. And so I wanted to make sure that we um, were able to really take this um, around the world, not just focus on Southeast Asia into the future. And we thought we'd start with Australia. I mean, this is this is our stomping ground. I already have a good network here. It's a great market to test in as well, because unlike a lot of the countries we're playing in in Southeast Asia, um, you know, it, it is developed and it's um, a very different reality economically. So we can start thinking about what our business and our technology looks like uh, in places where there are parallels to Australia. And throughout our work in SEA and now APAC, We'll have a good gauge um, on both ends of that spectrum, so it'll better inform you know, how we attack market expansion in the near future. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And so, look, you guys have also had um, you know, a couple of different uh, capital raising opportunities in recent times. I think there was a really big one sort of recently. Um, you know, what are the kinds of things that, that are important about, um, you know, well, what are they assisting you to, to do when it comes to that, that, I guess, next hurdle that you're trying to cross to kind of hit that, hit that point where you feel like it's, it's sustainable from here? Well, look, we're, we're still a startup. The, the fact we're a publicly traded company on the Australian Stock Exchange is a, is a little bit misleading in the sense <laughs> yeah. that typically that is that sort of um, listing is reserved for an established business. But we are sitting in a, in a pre-revenue state, um, especially when it comes to uh, digital products where, you know, investors will usually focus not on revenues initially, but on user acquisition and thinking about how big it can be from a user perspective and worrying more about how you monetize that user base at a later stage once they're sticky and once you've reached critical mass. Uh, and so the money we've, we've taken on, including uh, around about $3 million in the round of, of capital that just closed out, is really about ensuring that we can uh, keep the lights on first and foremost, but also spend the money required to grow it to the point where this is a very real and viable uh, business that is going to be financially sustainable and highly profitable uh, into the future. Um, and so we've got you know enough capital under management to, to keep us going for the next year or two, uh, and that's even excluding revenue. Uh, but thankfully, we had our maiden revenues last quarter, and with the deals that we're doing with the likes of Alliance and, and some other high-profile global teams, um, we expect you know that this business will be uh, cash flow positive uh, in a reasonable amount of time. So. Out of all the kind of uh, online tournament platforms and things that are out there, what do you feel like is the key, you know, that big unique selling point for what Mogul GG is actually offering the market? Well, look, we, we've got a pretty good user experience. I've, I've, I mean, that's kind of my craft. That's my background. I, I worked as uh, head of user experience for the AFL, uh, director of user experience for, for Tattersalls. Um, a lot of, a lot of time spent thinking about consumer products, digital products, how to maximise the experience. And don't get me wrong, uh, there's a lot. We need to improve about mobile. Uh, it's not perfect, and in fact, it'll it'll never be perfect. We need yeah. to continue to shift those goalposts as, as as consumer expectation changes, and as competitors crop up, and making sure that you know we're always you know ahead of the curve, fingers on the pulse, all those kinds of cliches. Um, but I think where we stand out right now is in fact in regards to the administration side of things. Um, when a big brand comes along to us um, or a large team or some kind of other event organizer, there's a lot about what we're doing from an operations and administration perspective, uh, which is indeed market leading. And this is only going to improve. I um, 
I had a great phone call with the former VP of eSports at Blizzard um, a few weeks back, uh, running them through the the platform, and uh, you know it was it was amazing to to have that that perspective reinforced. Um, you know they really feel like the the growth of um, technology in this space um, is is really going to be underpinned by that administration experience. What can we offer the organisers? How how simple can we make it for brands? Um, because yeah, look. A good user experience is good, but our competitors also have pretty good user experiences. Uh, and that's more anecdotal, I suppose, uh, in terms of personal preference. Some people think Faceit has the edge. Uh, other people like Mogul a lot more than Faceit. But uh, the bottom line is that if, if we have the best content and we have the greatest partners doing all of the coolest stuff, um, then that's going to give us an edge, even if the experience isn't quite as good as the competitors. Uh, and the way we, that we win those partners and, and create content uh, is through having a really robust, high-quality administration platform. Cool. So what do you feel like is the biggest challenge out there when it comes to to growing and, and continuing to grow uh, in in the in the market out there today. Uh, well, this this again comes back to our go to market strategy and indeed the, the the partnerships we've been firming up with people like Alliance. So um, the business's model before I joined was was uh, mostly um, direct to player sort of user acquisition, but this this poses a whole lot of challenges. A um, reaching gamers is is tougher than reaching an average consumer. Um, you know they don't really consume as much traditional media. Um, they very often have ad blockers installed. Um, I know because I do all those <laughs> yep. things as well. Um, and, you know, there's this, um, the, the credibility establishment piece is really, really hard when you go direct to player. Somehow you manage to get in their face and you, you try and promote this new offering, this new platform, this new tournament. There's a lot of skepticism uh, still within the community because rightly so. Um, people, um, gamers in this space are a little bit paranoid about coming and trying to muscle in and, and exploit, you know, everything we've worked so so hard for for the last 20 plus years i mean i first got into this um top tier playing wise you know in the late 1990s and, and worked commercially in it over the, the following decade and so um both from a business perspective and from a player perspective everybody wants to make sure that um things are done right and that uh, we're taking care of each other and so um what the alliance model represents is almost the ability to kind of um not have to worry about that credibility establishment piece because if we are establishing credibility with these large organizations and our player acquisition is primarily driven through them, um, then uh, as a byproduct of our relationship, that, that credibility is, is mostly established already. You know, Alliance effectively uh, give us the tick of approval. They run their due diligence on us and our company and our technology. Uh, you know, a lot of these team outfits are now highly professional with boards. And so the processes, are, you know, are all um, above board. And uh, so that's, that's, a really great way for us to kind of create a little bit of a shortcut you know, by, by forging these innovative relationships with organizations. Uh, and as a byproduct, uh, the users uh, come to Mogul and um, with far less friction as well. Yeah. And so what's your take on the state of fair play, positivity, toxicity type things in out of the esports community? And is that something that sort of Mogul is trying to, you know, address directly within its platform? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a counter-striker from way back, so toxicity is something that I'm very, very, very familiar <laughs> with. I'd, I'd argue that it, it remains probably one of the worst communities in regards to, to toxicity. But, you know, we are, we're going to be doing everything we can to, to promote uh, friendliness and respect uh, and, indeed, fair play. Um, Mogul has um, 
its own chat room, more or less every piece of the website. You know, there's a chat room when you're on the, the homepage and the tournament discovery view. When you have entered a tournament, there is a, a chat room which relates to that tournament. And when you're inside a single match, you know, versus another team or an individual, there is a, a chat which relates to that. All of these uh, are being monitored, um, if not by humans, um, by by automatic processes. I don't like to use the term AI because it's really not. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's being it's being watched. Um, you know, it, it's stuff that we pay attention to it, and it's stuff that we'll be paying attention to uh, ever more closely over time, especially as we grow. Because undoubtedly, um, there will be issues pop up, and we want to make sure that we're very very quick to, uh, quick to be to be sort of laying out the appropriate uh, remedies. So um, yeah, look, it's going to be challenge uh, like with with any community of this nature but um we're, we're pretty confident that we're up to the task that's great look i'm kind of in the wrapping up now but i, I just jumping back to the fact that you own a own a bar as well i'm like there must be something about just the whole esports community that that really kind of you know that you love given that I'm like here on one hand, you're trying to build the online community spaces to bring people together and to, you know, forge the the next phase of being able to play together online. And at the other, it's creating the space for people to hang out together in the real world and, and share their love of, of uh, games and esports. Um, you know, what, what is it within your kind of in yourself that you think is, is so wonderful about, about this, uh, this industry? Look, I just, um, I understand the the power of, of video games um, from a single player perspective. Uh, the narrative, the storytelling, the education, the lessons uh, in morality and ethics. Um, these are all very powerful things, and I borrowed them well from Hollywood, and in fact improved on them. Uh, in regards to esports specifically, I understand the power of, of competitive play and community, uh, and and relationships and socialising and, and team building. And I think a lot of people miss the fact that, despite the fact. Um, you might be online, uh, trapped in your uh, monitor, seemingly so. Uh, in actual fact, this is this is a social outlet. It's a community event. Um, you aren't being antisocial. You're being incredibly social uh, by participating in these kinds um, of activities. And, and that's, you know, what I found as a youngster. And, uh, you know, I've got quite uh, well team fortress um, to thank for, for most of my success I still have very good friends uh, which I first met playing uh, quake and playing counter-strike um, it taught me how to lead people it taught me how to inspire people uh, I, I taught myself how to code because I wanted to build a website to represent uh, the, the team which I put together I taught myself how to network how to build hardware um, so you know for, for me uh, gaming was a catalyst for pretty much everything uh, and I want to make sure more people have that opportunity and they have that experience. That's great. So two years' time, what are you hoping the eSports scene looks like? What are you hoping Mogul looks like uh, when, we, when we, I guess, you know, 2021? <laughs> oh, well, domination, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, look, I think the, the industry, it's come a long, long way in just five years. It's really, really impressive. Thinking, thinking back to the dreams I had, um, you know, back around the turn of the millennium, um, all of that was just too early. And timing is is everything, um, as as discussed offline. You know, when it comes to emerging tech and emerging industry, um, there aren't really any bad ideas. They're they're just bad ideas for certain points in time, and maybe they would have been good once upon a time, or that'd be good in the future. But I really feel there's this um, beautiful moment uh, in esports that is that is quick um, approaching and. 
you know, assuming that people don't get too carried away and, and um, the bubble doesn't become too overinflated, you know, I think there's there's a really, really great future here. And I just want to make sure that everybody's focused on sustainable growth, uh, not letting it run out of control. Um, you know, having to spend time in blockchain and crypto, uh, <laughs> I can explain exactly um, what that looks like. But I think, um, you know, over the next five years, this is, this is really going to be uh, an increasingly professional and very serious industry. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have been involved with it so far. And uh, I hope through Mogul and other avenues that I get to, to, to stay involved in a really uh, meaningful way into the future as well. The Esports Moment is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, as part of the Byteside Podcast Network. You can find this and other shows over at Byteside.com or, of course, you can find them in all your favourite podcast apps and Spotify and all those lovely places where people like to grab these audio files and put them in their ear holes. Uh, if you like this show, if you like any of the other shows, it really does help if you drop reviews in all those places where reviews go. It does help algorithms spread the word. And of course, just, just tell other people to come and check it out if you're enjoying it and you think that they might enjoy it too. Until next time, I'm Seamus Byrne and I will see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.